What is up? Sheepdog Nation, welcome to another podcast of Changing the Culture Podcast with your host, me, Autumn Clifford. As always, super excited to have you here. Today, we have a special guest, and I'm very excited about this special guest. I get to introduce you to somebody who has been helping me um, indirectly with getting me published and editing my articles and allowing me to be out there and help all of you and the law enforcement um, first responder community. And his name is Jim McNeff. He is the editor-in-chief over to Law Officer. Make sure you go check out Law Officer. I wrote two articles over there so far. That's just the beginning. He, Jim, is coming on because he has been a cop forever. He uh, worked out in California. He has uh, military experience. And the reason I thought it would be so important and such a cool interview is because He is thriving. He's retired and he's thriving. He's not somebody who got lost to the job. He didn't let the job overtake him. He's got a solid family life and he's got a solid work life even after um, retirement. And he's, he's really adding to our culture in a positive way. And so I want to show you the man behind the scenes <laughs> and, um, and I can't wait to introduce you to him. I can't wait for you to hear everything he has to say. He is full of golden nuggets. He's, um, he has a couple of books. I'm going to uh, share his website below so that you can go grab them. You can go grab them on Amazon. Great interview. This is a great perspective, and I'm really excited to share it with you. Enjoy. Hi, Jim. I'm so excited to have you on the Changing the Culture podcast. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Hi, Autumn. Uh, pleasure to be here. Jim McNeff, uh, military background, uh, 30 years in law enforcement. I had a fulfilling career. It seemed like, uh, I know a lot of times when you talk to cops at the end of their career, they, they say, yep, I worked it all. Well, without sounding uh, like a, an arrogant knucklehead, every four years I had a different assignment. So whether it was uh, detectives, motors, narcs, field supervisor, detective commander, uh, even the one I, I tried to shield, and that is I was actually even the internal affairs guy for about five years. But uh, I didn't feel cheated. I, it seemed like I got to ride every horse on the merry-go-round. Uh, and I, I was, uh, I, I limped to my retirement, but I made it to the end uh, with you. my health fairly intact, 19 surgeries later, but I did make it to the end with a service retirement. So why did you have that? <laughs> yeah. Why'd you have 19 surgeries? A lot of injuries. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I can't say every surgery was job related, but uh, probably three quarters of them were job related to, uh, to include uh, three knee surgeries. The last one was actually after I retired, a full knee replacement, a couple of shoulder surgeries, a couple elbow surgeries. Uh, I, I was, I, I wasn't a cowboy. I don't want to put myself in that, uh, that category because I want to pride myself in no, no, no. I was tactically, uh, sound, but the reality is I was involved in a lot of high risk stuff during my years in SWAT and my years working undercover operations. And, uh, so, uh, so injury was, was, it was just, it just seemed to be a part of, wow. <laughs> of uh, the line of work that I was in. Do you, do you think that, could you have done anything? Do you think like, could you have taken better care of yourself or gone and seen a chiropractor or done any of these things to prevent it? Or what do you, what do you think? Uh, to prevent it? No, every injury was just the result of just, you know, circumstances just happened. Yeah. Uh, 
I can tell you I could have taken better care of my body in the recovery process. Mm -hmm. uh, as you know, most cops are type A personalities and type A personalities do not allow their body to heal in mm -hmm. the appropriate amount of time. So I'm sure had I, had I allowed my initial knee injuries to heal, the, the initial knee injury was a torn MCL as a result of a foot pursuit in 1987. Wow. After that injury, and at the time I was 26 years old. So the doc told me after that knee injury, there was a likelihood I would have to have knee replacement somewhere down the road. But I also was 26 years old, invincible. And so I did not really allow that injury to recover uh, appropriately. And as a result, I had another uh, scope surgery probably about six years later. At that time, the surgeon said, you're definitely going to need a knee replacement sometime in your life. Uh, still, I didn't stop doing the things that I probably should have discontinued, like uh, uh, doing a lot of basketball yeah. activity, doing a lot of racquetball, snow skiing. I probably should have discontinued some of those things. Yeah. And so I did. I, I, I beat the, the crap out of my knee to the point when by the day I retired and I looked down at my right leg, <clears throat> I constantly had a bone spur that was growing on the inside of my right knee. And I thought looking down at that angle, I thought it was just the angle that I was looking at and it was an illusion. Well, it was oh no my illusion. My leg was actually towing 20 degrees out from the knee wow. down. And if, if you're a structural engineer, you would have looked at my right leg and you would say, hey, we need to tear that thing down. Well, finally, that's what a, a, an orthopedic surgeon told me when I, I went into his office about a year into retirement and I could no longer walk stairs he said, well, we've got to completely rebuild that thing. I said, yeah, I knew it was coming, but, but now I can't walk stairs. So I need my, I now need my artificial. Yeah. At, at, yeah. At, uh, in my early fifties, I wound up having to have a, a knee replacement. So, wow. So anyway, yeah. And I did the same thing with shoulders and elbows. I just didn't allow my body to heal. As soon as I felt like I was healed, I went back out. Then I went on an operational raid once with my arm in a sling, and I cannot believe my boss and my chief let me do it, but it was a major operation. We had working with LAPD at the time, mm -hmm. taking down some bad guys that were doing uh, carjackings of uh, FedEx drivers, and man, I wanted in on that thing. So yeah. <laughs> I, again, I look back at it now, I'm thinking, man, I had some bosses that they just weren't thinking clearly. They never should let me out of the office, but yeah. Uh, well, we, were working in, we were working in a facility where I was able to sneak out and, and the only one who knew was my direct sergeant at the time and he needed bodies. And so I promised him, oh, I promise I, I won't get tactically engaged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. right. <laughs> Can you tell us what PD you used to work for or just the area? I worked in Orange County, California for an agency called Fountain Valley. Wow. And for any listeners who perhaps have visited Disneyland in Anaheim, or the beach in Huntington Beach, uh, Fountain Valley sits right between the two. Really? Mm -hmm. And so what was policing like out there? Because, you know, I'm an East Coast girl, so. Yeah. Uh, Orange County is generally a conservative county compared to Los Angeles. Orange County uh, neighbors LA. So you've got the Los Angeles metropolis and the Orange County metropolis, which are back to back. So you can drive from South Orange County to North Los Angeles, which would be without traffic. And as Californians would, will tell you, we don't measure things by miles in California. We measure it by time because five miles might mean 
45 minutes, <laughs> depending mm -hmm. on traffic. So yeah. from the south side of Orange County to the north side of Los Angeles, you're talking, you know, several hundred miles. But my gosh, that could take you six, seven hours or more to travel yeah. on traffic. And, and you're going to hit traffic anytime out there, perhaps with the exception of about 3 a.m. on Sunday morning. That's about the only time you're guaranteed. I shouldn't say guaranteed, but you're less likely to run into traffic. Yeah. So would you, would you say like you guys were busy? It was a busy agency? You had a busy car? Uh, not compared to Los Angeles. We right. were not. Wow. But uh, in we're, uh, Fountain Valley is what we would call even a bedroom community, but we neighbored Santa Ana, which Santa Ana is filled with, uh, it's a, there's a lot of crime in Santa Ana. And also Westminster, it's, and it was, it's really even a, a melting pot. So we, <clears throat> the, we had a lot of street gangs in those areas. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's interesting is, is like all the gang bangers, they knew the Fountain Valley borders. And at the time, Fountain Valley, we had, we we're a very, very proactive police department. That was always that was part of our culture. And we mm -hmm. really believed the more proactive we were as cops, the less likely we were for uh, the crooks to basically take over our town. Yes. So uh, we were, and that was a unit I worked for about 10 years doing undercover work, proactive uh, enforcement going after the bad guys. And so uh, crime trends, yeah, we always kept a lid on things, but we were surrounded by cities that, that had a lot of, of that had very high crime trends, but ours was always lower because we, we took a very proactive uh, enforcement uh, yeah. methods in trying to deal with it. Yeah, I, and I like that approach. I think, you know, I think it's, I've seen it be very, very effective in policing, to be honest with you. The more proactive you are, the, mm -hmm. you know, the less you have to deal with the shit. So um, especially right now in this COVID-19, you know, we have a lot of agencies that are, um, being reactive and we're seeing spikes in crime, spikes in drunk drivers, spikes in speeders, you know, just crime, you know, across the, the, like the way, you know, we're just seeing spikes because we're seeing a lot less proactive policing. So I think it's a great point. Um, so Jim, you are an editor. So tell me, uh, the, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you so badly is, um, you know, other because I do love your work. And, but the thing is, is you are, you've done things beyond the badge, right? And so a lot of times as a law enforcement officer, especially somebody as fast paced as yourself, I mean, you just seem like a fast paced guy, but like that can really mess up somebody mentally, right? I mean, you, you go, 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 your adrenaline's on high, you're hypervigilant constantly. And so when you came and it was time for you to retire, how did you, how did you battle that? And like, what did you do to balance that out? Yeah, it's interesting that you use that word battle because I do think uh, post-police life is a battle for a lot of people. I mean, we've mm -hmm. got our identity as cops. And man, all of a sudden that badge and uniform are gone. And it's like, man, a piece of me is missing. Uh, so I'd say for me, two things were very, very prevalent. And that is as much as I could, I tried to make sure my identity was not as a cop. Uh, for me, my identity really fell as, without getting too spiritual or, or like uber religious on, my identity was a follower, as a follower of Christ. Mm -hmm. That's how I coped in life. That's how I coped with a lot of the, the mess that we need to cope with in law enforcement. So that was very, very important to me that my identity was as a Christian man, a husband, a father, and now a grandfather. 
and not as a cop. But I will also be the first to admit that's extremely hard because I yes. love being a cop. I love the badge. I love the uniform. I got into the line of work because of a sense of justice that I believe God placed in me. Uh, I, I did not like to see evil prevail. And so I, I, I love being a cop because I love to see justice served. So, uh, so going into retirement, I always felt like I was in a good place emotionally and mentally because I really, uh, I had life outside of police work. Uh, and, and so regardless of the, the high risk things that, that I was involved in, and, and, and there were many, and we're not going to, I don't think we're going to get into all of them today, but the reality <laughs> is I really never had any of the, the post-traumatic stress that I think could have been associated with some of the things I experienced because I had that uh, network outside of law enforcement. I had some great friends and, and, and there's some tremendous stories to be told there, but in the interest of time, uh, we don't have time to travel to them today. But so that was, that's first and foremost, is having an identity outside of law enforcement because it comes to everybody eventually. So who are you when you're not wearing a badge? So that was important to me. Secondarily is uh, I've just never been a person who, I mean, I don't, I can only relax once I've, once I'm physically and mentally exhausted, yeah. then I can relax. Then I can sit down, have a beer. Then I can sit down, watch a ball game. But I've always been the person where I need to get exhausted before I can relax. And as a result, uh, exercise has always been a big part of my life. Outdoor activity has always been a big part of my life. I, I you know, it, you get the adrenaline rush from work, right? Mm -hmm. so how many cops do you know? Two things I, I find off-duty or retirees, they do one of two things. Either they never get off the couch mm -hmm. because the, all of the endorphins and serotonin and all of that, it's crashed. And yeah. now all they want to do when they're off-duty is be sluggish. Yeah, yeah. Or you've got the thrill seekers. You know, they, okay, they've had the adrenaline rush on duty. So now off-duty, they're going to go dirt bike riding. They're going to be riding their Harley. They're going to be... Uh, you know, jumping out of air, they're going to do something that's going to get that adrenaline flowing. Well, I don't know. I don't ever think I did it to intentionally get my adrenaline flowing. I just love activity. I love sports. I love outdoors. So, so that's always been a big part of my life too. So I even remember telling my wife once before I retired, I went for a, I went for a bike ride. We lived, we lived a few miles from the day. So I rode the bike to the beach. I went swimming in the ocean. Uh, I went rollerblading. And then I went to the gym. And I, she goes, what are you doing? I go, oh, I'm practicing for retirement. Oh, <laughs> <So>. my goodness. <laughs> and that's probably, is that what retirement's like for you? <laughs> well, to, to some degree. I, I, actually, my retirement plan, it was going to be to breed and train German shepherds. I, yeah. I had a, a, a female puppy that I bought from uh, the guy that we bought all, all of our police canines from. And then uh, I bought a mail from another uh, litter and I was going to uh, train and do one of the jobs I had on duty was I was actually uh, our, our program manager for the canine program for about five years. No and kidding. Late in my career. And I got to the point where man, I just love dogs. I mm -hmm. love, love, love them. So I was going to train and breed German shepherds in retirement. And so uh, I began doing that. I had my dogs and they were both puppies. So I started with all the exact same training we would be doing with a police service dog, only, you know, they were just going to be my pets that were going to yeah, be yeah. very, very well trained. And, <laughs> and, uh, and they were going to be my home protection. 
mm-hmm. well uh, probably two or three months into the training every day i would go out to train with them uh i believe god continued to put events in my mind that happened there were the war stories you know that we all have yes. the war stories were going on in my mind when i was out training my dogs and but, but beyond the story god continued to uh, apply the principles that i because i learned a lot of things the hard way and that's <laughs> also part of my story <laughs> i have like i have a lot of testimonies where i just royally screwed things up mm-hmm. uh, but again my life is an open book and so i i tell the stories not to not to uh put it on a mantle or not to degrade myself but the reality is we all have stories where yes. we messed up and we yeah. we we we've got hurts hang-ups and so what have we done with them so god would put these stories in my mind not stories the actual events in my mind that happened when i was an on-duty cop but he then miraculously connected them to to uh, lessons from the bible that's like okay this happened this is what i learned so tell the story and after i was after after this happening like six consecutive days at the time my wife and i had our retire we, we put our life savings into that retirement house we we're having our house custom built and we were living uh with uh our daughter son-in-law and their kids and one day i came back from a bike ride and i opened up my laptop and and I just started to cut and paste material that I'd already written when I was on duty mm. uh, for different publications. I started to cut and paste and my granddaughter comes up and says, Papa, what are you doing? I, said, I don't know. I think I might be writing a book. She goes, mm. oh, really? Will you read it to me? Aww. <laughs> yeah, maybe parts of it. Yeah. <laughs> and four hours later, I closed the laptop and I thought, you know, I'm pretty sure I've already got the outline to 19 chapters. Wow. And so my retirement, it made a U-turn from breeding and training dogs, although I continued to train my dogs. And we did have one litter. It it took off on the writing. So so now fast forward eight years into retirement, I've written three books. And in, in marketing the books, you're just all over online. And again, I'll tell anyone I've told you were I hate marketing. But <laughs> part of what you do to market your written work is you continue to write. Yes. So that's what I did. So I wound up writing for law enforcement publications. And the next thing I knew, I was working as a managing editor, uh, which is what I do right now for law officer. I'm the managing editor of their uh, love- on their site. So, uh, so that's what I do. I, I write. Putting words on paper has always been a piece of cake for me. Uh, and so what I had to learn in retirement, though, is there's a big difference in writing for a prosecutor versus <laughs> writing for uh, a publisher. Big, yeah. big difference. Uh, mm-hmm. So, it's, so it's, it's been a learning process for me. And, and I, I tend to talk like a hillbilly. And so you write like you talk. And all of a sudden, I would, I'd write something and I'd, I'd proofread it and go, man, that sounds like a hillbilly. Do I really talk that way? So I've had to really learn to clean up my, not just my language, but just, you know, clean up my grammar. And, That's so and, funny. And write for literary purposes too. That's so funny. Well, I, and I love, I thank you for sharing your experience. So here's what's so funny is um, I did not know that you're such a big dog person. So my household, we have two 
Belgian Malinois. Mm -hmm. And so here's what was so funny is as you're sitting here telling us and you're like, yeah, like, you know, I'd, I'd go swimming and biking and I'd do all these things. Then I'd go to the gym and, and you're just kind of talking about how like, it, you know, you have to get like mentally and physically exhausted. I'm like, geez, he sounds just like my Belgian Malinois. Like in order for her to even think straight, I have to exhaust the hell out of her. So um, yeah. that's funny. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, so, yeah. My, I've got, I've got two German shepherds and they, they won't leave me alone at night if they don't get oh, yeah. trained and exercise during the day. And, and, and so if I want to enjoy, you know, Sunday night football or a Hallmark movie with my wife, or man, the dogs have to be worn out. I know Otherwise, it's working dogs, man. Yep. Working dogs. They're, they're so much, they're so different. Everybody, you know, I know we're going off on a spiel, but I just have to say this. So many people think they want to work in dog, right? As a pet, you know, these, these people like, um, so we, we have a, we have a baby, um, Malamois and, mm -hmm. um, she comes from Ivan Balabanov. I don't, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's like, he's like a world famous, um, trainer. Her dad is a world champion, multi-world champion. Her brother's a world champion. So like comes from, Okay, but let me just tell you about that, okay? Because she is insane and everyone's like, oh, she's so cute. And then I have all these cops reach out to me. I want a Mally. I'm like, no, no, you do not. You have no idea what this takes. So disclaimer, anybody who thinks they want, you know, a, a high-end working dog, you've got to put in the time. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> Amen, yeah. yeah. Yeah, people want the, the beautifully trained dog without yeah. putting in the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, uh, oh my i know you know this but hours and hours and hours and hours and then it's like did you really just forget everything we did your whole like year of your life <laughs> where'd that foundation go no <laughs> um but anyway so you okay so tell us about your book or tell us your most recent or tell us all of them i want to hear about those oh gosh uh the three books I'll, i'm gonna try to make it brief this one this is the first one the spirit behind badge one four five yeah. This is the one that I, I mentioned during that monologue that I went off on a few minutes ago, where it's just a series of, of war stories, but I don't tell them. I mean, cop stories are entertaining. So from that perspective, they're very entertaining, and cops will quickly identify these stories to something in their career. But I, 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 I connect every story to some kind of a biblical principle that I learned. Oh. And so anyone who has you know, any level of faith in the Bible or Christianity, they'll look at that and go, oh, okay, I get that. I can connect to that. So that's what that book is. And it's, there's 31 chapters in it. So there's 31 months in many of the, or, I'm sorry, 31 days in most months or half the months. So that's kind of the way I wrote it would be just pick it up chapter a day. It's like four to five pages per chapter, quick, easy read. Uh, this one, Justice Revealed. This one was written as I began my writing career after writing the first book. And this was just a series of vignettes and short stories about police work that essentially I did the same thing as, as I did in the first book, but I, I was doing this for about two years and all of a sudden the publisher said, Hey, I think you've got another book. Give me your best of. So that's what this book is. That's and then cool. the, the third one that I wrote, this one was a true labor of love. This jurisdiction, it's a cop and a pastor talking about life. Uh, I'm one of 11 siblings in my family, and in, I call, I'm, I'm the black sheep, okay? I'm, I'm the cop. Yeah. <clears throat> I've actually got three brothers uh, who are pastors, wow. and so uh, I like to say there's a real fine line between being a pastor and a cop. Mm -hmm. we, we both deal with the same crap professionally, 
We just deal with it from a little different Differently. And so as I have shared stories with my brothers that are in the ministry over the years, we've had some very, very interesting conversations. So uh, this book, this is the only one that I feel like I had real inspiration to write. Well, I think the last one sound very good. I had inspiration to write all of them. This is the one where before the first one was even published, I woke up in the middle of the night once and I felt like, again, I want to say this without getting all weird on people because I know some people just think this is totally weird. I, I believe God gave me a vision while I was sleeping and said, you're going to write a book. It's going to be called Jurisdiction. You're going to write it with one of your pastors who are brothers. And the, the book is going to be about God's sovereignty. And you're going to answer all those very, very difficult questions that people come up with. You know, why do, why do uh, bad things happen to good people? Is there a God? If there is a God, why do we have hurricanes? Blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. You've heard all, we've heard all those very, very difficult questions. Yes. And so my brother and I, one of my brothers, we answer all those questions in the book, Jurisdiction. Jurisdiction. And can we get those on Amazon? You can get all three on Amazon. Yes. You can just type in my name, Jim McNeff on Amazon yep. and all three books should uh, populate. So that's, it's really interesting that you say that is because um, so I'm, I'm very spiritual as well. Um, and so a little less Christian based, more of like, um, like a universe, I believe in God and, and stuff like that. I just, I just, I approach it differently than you, but same thing. But so what I get asked a lot of is why do good things, bad things happen to good people? I'm a cop. I've seen all this shit, you know, I'm a first responder. A lot of our firefighters, our EMTs, our correctional officers are asking me the same thing. They're like, Autumn, what the hell? You know, if, if God is so good and the universe is so good, what the hell, what the hell? What, what, can you give us like a short answer to that? I can give you the answer that I've concluded, and that is we serve a good God, but when God created uh, humanity, humanity chose to rebel. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that rebellion, we all, everyone who's born into the world, is born with a propensity to rebel. And that rebellion has caused, I'll use the word sin, because that's the word that's used in the Bible. So that word has caused a lot of pain and suffering. So a lot of the pain and suffering that we see in the world, it's a result of human sin. Hmm. Okay, so that's as far as humanity goes. But then you say, well, what about the tornadoes and the hurricanes? Can't God like keep those under control? Well, I think what's very, very important to remember if, and again, Keep in mind, I've got a Christian worldview. So what I've had to do in my faith journey is, if I believe in God, how do I believe he communicated with me? If I believe he communicated with me through the Bible, how do I know the Bible is genuine Mm -hmm. and authentic? So I'm going to fast forward to the point where I'm going to stipulate that I've done all that research and I've got that research in the book jurisdiction and it's and my but my foundation is in scriptures in the bible it's in the word so if that is my found just like you know in, in police work we have the penal code we got the that's our legal foundation that you know we need the elements of the crime to take the crime well the elements of my faith are found in the bible so if those are the elements of my faith then i have to believe what god said god created humanity to love him and to to be loved by, we chose to rebel. And so now if God chose us to live eternally, and yet we choose to rebel, and he's given us a free will, 
Is he going to force someone against their will to choose him? And his answer is, no, I'm not going to force anyone against their will to choose me. Therefore, he's had to do things to try to get our attention to see things from an eternal perspective. And yet we're, 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 we're beings that it's hard for us to see things with an eternal perspective, but that's the way, that's why I come out of everything. And honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't face death. I couldn't face death of, of family members, friends, loved ones. If it wasn't for having an eternal perspective that life is nothing but preparing for eternity. Yeah. And if life is preparing for eternity, what did God say about it? How do I get there? And so that also helps give me the mindset that <clears throat> bad things happen in the world, calamities happen in the world, and when they do, we see God's people, good people, rise to the occasion and do incredible things with an eternal perspective in mind. So, so as, as a, for instance, if there's a, uh, my wife and I, we, we relocated from California to uh, Texas when yeah. we, well, there's tornadoes in Texas. <clears throat> well, a tornado is a, it's a calamity. If a tornado comes down my neighborhood and wipes out a bunch of houses, that's mm -hmm. a horrible thing. Yes. As someone with an eternal perspective, what's the most important thing to me? The most important thing is not the house. It's the soul, the people that were living in that house. And I don't have, you know, God is outside of time, space, and matter. And I certainly don't have his perspective but I know that he has that perspective. And so God is going to, the God that I believe in, the God of the Bible, is going to know uh, what it's going to take to get someone's attention, mm. to call their attention. So we see a lot of people, matter of fact, most adults who turn to a, a place of what I'll call a Christian faith, because again, that's my background, that's my world. Yep. People that turn to a faith as an adult, it's usually from some kind of a, a hurt or a yep. calamity in their life. So what's most important to God is not that that person have every creature feature or every comfort in life to eventually die spiritually bankrupt. That's not God's goal. God's goal is that that person would love him and choose him for eternity. And so if, if let's say, for instance, if I got every creature feature, I've got everything that I ever wanted to live a a, uh, a, 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 you know, if, if I got every Harley Davidson I ever wanted, if I got every, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, that might make me happy in the moment, yeah. but is that really going to help me in eternity? Not right. if I reject God, because at the, at the end of the line, that's what it boils down to as far as I'm concerned. What did we do with God's claim? What did we do with God's promises? What did we do with his son that he said it was Jesus that yeah. sacrificed his life on our behalf. What did we do with that? Well, if we discarded it, then the Bible says, then God will say, I never knew you. Mm -hmm. But if we say yes to that, then that's, then the reality is in my mind, death is nothing but graduation to the next death is graduation to spending eternity in heaven with, with my Lord. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, uh, you know, that's why my faith is so important to me. That's why uh, really, and not just, not just, not just, you know, having the Bible to collect dust, but my gosh, what does it say? Is it valid? Can I really trust it? Is it trustworthy? And so I, I've done the research on all that stuff and I've come to those conclusions that my side and, you know, from where I come from, 
I don't ever want to argue with anybody about positions of faith. I just simply say, and, and here, here's why, because I don't believe God called me to be his attorney. God called me to be his witness. So mm-hmm. I'll, I will be a witness for what he has done in my life, mm-hmm. but everybody has to make their own decisions based upon, you know, the, the, the input that they have. And, uh, but I do believe that God reveals himself to all humanity because he even tells us in Psalms and Romans and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes that he's revealed himself to everyone. Matter of fact, I've even got a, I've got a theory. There are no real uh, atheists. And I know atheists out there, they're going to hate me for even saying that. I honestly believe that because I mm-hmm. believe those are people who are just simply running from the input that God has put into their life. And again, I know that they would, they, they're probably yelling at the computer right now. Ah, the yes, fine. I am. I'm an atheist. Okay, okay, okay. You are. It's just my theory that you're really not. Yeah. Well, no. And, and just to say, so, cause on this podcast, you know, we, we get pretty spiritual. I've, I'm a pretty spiritual person. I just look at God as the infinite source of love. So for me, whereas people call God a person, I just don't call him a person. I believe he's the universe. He's, he's infinity. He's everything and he's everywhere. And if we look at the definition of God, it's I am that I am. He's everywhere. And so I do believe to what you have to say to an extent, as far as like the atheist, like, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think, and I think what's really beautiful is that, you know, you've had this really fast paced career. You've done a lot of things. Obviously your faith is what has got you here. That's really what I'm interested in is, is where you came from. You've done all these things. Like you've said, a lot of things that could have given you PTSD, you know, but because of your faith, because of, you know, the, you, you kept going and, and you, you know, and all of these things here you are today and you're successful. You, you know, you, your family, you're still together. You know, you're a, you know, you're a grandfather, you're a father, you, you know, and you're very prominent out there in the law enforcement community. You're out there, you're helping us, you're helping us get our words out there. Um, you know, specifically you're the editor in chief of, you know, law officer. And I just, I just think it's really inspiring um, for all officers, all first responders listening to this. And, and the reason why is because I think we need to hear from, from more cops who've been in the, you know, and, and you've been in the military and you've been in the trenches, you've done the shit, you've seen a lot of shit and here you are and you're great. And like, just to talk to you, you're very optimistic. You're very like, life is good. You're not somebody like, is like F this and F that and like, fuck everybody. And, and you know, the life's, you know, everything's out to get me. You're not that way. Whereas I've seen a lot of retired officers end up that way. And so my goal, as you know, is really to, I want to change the culture. I don't want officers. We give so much of our life to being a police officer, to being a first responder. We, it doesn't have to take our souls, you know, it it doesn't. And so I just, I love what you're doing. And so to kind of like, you know, wrap this up, you know, anybody listening, um, if you love what Jim has to say, I know I do go to Amazon, grab his books, go to his website. What's your website, Jim? Uh, badge145.com. Badge was that your badge number? Com. That was my badge number. Okay. And, and we'll have it down in the show notes as well. So you guys can go check out Jim. He, he's amazing. So Jim, what would you leave? I'd love for you to just leave, you know, an officer, either starting their career or maybe kind of struggling, like what could you give them for some advice to, you know, turn it around to be, you know, optimistic and fast paced like you are and successful in retirement? Oh gosh, there are so many pearls of wisdom that I've been given throughout the years, but maybe the best way to reply to that question is uh, maybe this way. 
most people that get into the law enforcement, they're the type of men and women that would give you the shirt off their back, right? I mean, they're, they're true public servants. And then after the job tends to grind them up after a few years, we become the type of people, we no longer want to give people the shirt off our back. We want to rip the shirt off of the bad guys. Yes. There isn't what I call a personality evolution that most cops go through. I think it's a very rare occasion when a cop does. You can't help it. If you're going to see the things that cops see, you're, it's going to change your paradigms. Yes. And so maybe a, a pearl of wisdom that, that, that I was given when I was a young man and I discarded it and I had to refine it. And that is remember who you are that made you want to get into law enforcement. What, what, what made you that type of a person? Don't let the grind of the business, we, we're idealists, right? We want to be Superman, Wonder Woman. We want to save the world. You're not going to save the world. Just, just focus on being a positive influence, maybe on one victim a day, one citizen a day. And if you can have a positive influence on that one person's outlook on life in that given day, and it might even be nothing more than being sympathetic to a victim. Or it might even be, hey, you've, you've got someone hooked up. And man, they're, they're a bad mammer jammer. Mm -hmm. And guess what? All of a sudden, you've got to, you've, you've got to interview them. Mm -hmm. Well, they're more likely to talk to you if you're a nice person. <laughs> not, if you're, not if you're telling them, you know, what a sloth they are in life. Just practice politeness. Practice niceness to those that you actually really, really dislike. And that is going to help. You know, we, we become what we are. Yep. If we're always an a-hole to people, yep. well, you're going to become one. You're yep. going to be a very good one. Yep. But if you practice uh, you know, on a dollar bill, right? There's, yep. an all, there's an eagle with a talon, all a branch of peace in one talon, and the arrows of war in the, in the other. If we can practice being that bald eagle on duty, always willing to offer the all a branch of peace, but yet I'll kill you if I have to. Yes. Man, that, w without, without losing our mind, yeah. then that's the type of people that we need to be in. And then finally, I would just say, and don't lose your non-cop friends. Cops mm. tend to, they, we, we tend to get in our own little, you know, holy huddles around, you know, pitchers of beer. And, uh, and then we, we all t start to talk alike, look alike, uh, bash alike. And so I just say, man, maintain, even the ones that you might view as, you know, a little bit liberal, well, those little bit liberal people in your life, they might be, they might help keep you balanced a little yeah. bit. Mm -hmm. And so I just say, keep, keep touch with reality outside of law enforcement and have some emotional foundations in your life, whatever they might be, whether it's faith, exercise, just have those foundations in your life. Love it. I love it. Well, thank you, Jim. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Um, you just, you have dropped so many, you know, golden nuggets of value. I just really appreciate it. Um, Sheepdog Nation, make sure you go to the show notes so you can go and get connected with Jim. I'll put your website down there. And Jim, thank you so much, Sheepdog Nation. I'll see you next time. Thanks, Autumn.